want to talk to you this morning about God's majesty, God's greatness. Have you ever had a brush with somebody famous? Uh, maybe somebody that you ran across that you admired, or maybe just someone that you wish you had. Um, there's a few people that I would like to meet. There's some that have already gone that I'll never get the chance to meet. They're still, still on my list of people I would like to meet. Um, I've had a few brushes with minor, um, minor celebrities. Um, one happened to be a photographer that I met, and uh, I, I like taking pictures. And so I met him online and started talking to him, looking at his pictures, and, and he invited me to go take some pictures. And so we went, and he was teaching me how to do things and uh, do some night photography and landscape things. And so later on, I went and, and Googled this guy's name and found out he was a New York Times bestselling author in the field of photography uh, multiple times over. And so I felt pretty privileged that, to call him a friend and so forth. Uh, the other time was kind of embarrassing as a 49ers football fan. I happened to go to a game. It was like one of my first games to actually go to the game. And I decided I was going to take the guys that were with me, and we were going to find a way to get out on the field before the game. And so I kind of maneuvered my way with a couple of the guys, and we kind of snuck through hallways and corridors and, and found ourselves right at the field. You could see the grass. You could see the players. And there was a chain there and a couple big old bodyguards. And so they go, what are you going to do now? And I said, just, just calm down. We'll get through. And so I go up to the gate, and I pull out one of my church business cards, and I said, I'm Pastor Trimble. I'm here to pray with the team before the game. And the security guard looks at it, and he goes, really? And I said, absolutely, you know. And so he goes, well, I'll have to get this approved. And so he took off, and they said, did they really? I said, no, but I'd pray with them if they would let me. <laughs> and so uh, security guard took off, and the other security guard's getting there, and he, he asked, and I told him, honestly, no, they didn't ask me. But uh, we're standing there, and he says, I said, well, how do you get out on the field? He says, you've got to know somebody. I said, you got to know somebody, huh? And the guy said, let's go, let's get our seats. And so I said, no, we're going we're gonna to get to know somebody that will get us on that field. And so we turned around to walk off, and I was a little upset. And up comes this guy, and he's wearing a suit. And he had a big old nice 49er lapel pin on his collar. So I feared, well, he must work for the 49ers. And so as I'm walking towards him, I stick out my hand and say, hey, I'm Pastor Trimble, and uh, I just, man, it's good to be here. Are you with the team? And he kind of looks at me with a little smirk on his face, and he says, I own the team. <laughs> and uh, I was so embarrassed that I didn't ask him if I could get on the field. And... Uh, News traveled fast. By the time I made my way up to the seats, everybody in my whole section looks at me and goes, Hey, are you with the team? <laughs> I looked at my buddy that had got up there before me, and I said, You are a gossip. You are a gossip. <laughs> and so that was one of my brushes with greatness. But sometimes uh, when you think about it, and this past week I just kept thinking about how amazing it is that God takes an interest in our lives. I mean, when you think about maybe celebrities or stars or politicians or these sorts of people in this world, but we're talking about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that is desiring to be in a personal relationship with us. And that ought to amaze us. As we enter into this Christmas season, it ought to amaze us that God in heaven wanted to be as close as possible to us, so he came and took on human form in the person of Jesus Christ just so that he could be right here with us, that he could walk amongst us, and he could experience what we experienced, and that he could ultimately die for our sins because he loved us that much. How amazing is that, that he is that close to us, that he listens to us, that he, he hears us, he waits for us to call out to him, that he protects us, he watches over us. 
that he knows what our needs are. Before we even ask him, he already knows because he watches us that closely. One of the passages in the scripture says that he knows the very numbers of our hair. Amen. How amazing is that? In the Old Testament, we're told that even when we were being formed in our mother's womb, he had actually counted our fingers and our toes, just like a a mother would after a child is born. They always count. God had already known all of that before we were even formed in our mother's womb. How amazing is that? And the psalmist in Psalm 8 opens up and he closes with this line from the, the, the poem. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And down in verse 9, he closes and he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And he gives this idea of majesty to God. That he is above everything that we can imagine. That he is so high and so lifted up and so holy and so amazing. He is majestic and yet he knows us. And how amazing is that? And so I want to talk to you about this morning about that majesty of God. And he uses a phrase in this passage several times or kind of alludes to this phrase of God has set things in place. In his power and in his authority, he sets things in place. In fact, in the first verse there, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. You have set your glory above the heavens. And the first thing that he set in place was he set his glory above the heavens. And when we look at that verse where he says that, he says some things. Number one, he says, O Lord, our Lord. And that's an interesting statement. He's not just saying, you know, the name twice. If you look closely at your Bibles, they're probably spelled just a little different. The first Lord is probably all capital letters. And the second Lord probably begins with a capital, but is followed by small letters. And it is Lord, our Lord, but there are two different words. And the first one is Yahweh, and that is the name of God. That is this I am that I am that we're told of in the Old Testament. That is telling us he is the eternal God. And the second one is the word Adonai, which is my ruler, my Lord, my governor. And so there's this wonderful name of God that he alludes to. He says, you are God and you are my Lord. You're the God who has always been, and yet you are my ruler. And what an intimate relationship that is. And David says, this name of God deserves to be praised. And he says, he has set his name high above the heavens. High above the heavens. He says, your name is majestic in the earth, though. And I got to thinking about that, about God and how wonderful and how majestic he is. And it says that he is above everything in the earth. The name of God is enough. And I wonder sometimes if we have maybe missed that. That we sometimes come in and we almost have to work ourselves up to praise God. When in reality, just his name alone should be enough for us. But we live in a culture, don't we, that has lost this awe, this reverence, this fear of God. But just the name of the Lord is worthy to be praised. Years ago, there was a song that was Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. And how important it is that that we understand who it is that we're worshiping. In fact, I was reading an article, and the article alluded to this fact that maybe we've become so involved in worship in our culture that we've forgotten who it is that we worship. That it has just become something we do. We come and we sing and we clap and we raise our hands and, and it feels good and man, it's an emotional high, but we've forgotten why we're doing it. Kevin alluded to the Hatfields and the McCoys this morning in Sunday school, so that tells you what kind of lesson you may have missed. But some say that that battle went on forever and ever and ever, and by the time a few generations have passed, no one really knew what it was all about. I think it took the Discovery Channel to figure it out recently. 
But I'm afraid that maybe sometimes in the church, we've forgotten why we worship God. He says, your name is majestic in all the earth. And his name is majestic, isn't it? When you think about the names that are ascribed to God, you can, you can accumulate many from Scripture, but some of the favorites that I have all surround the Christmas season, don't they? You call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. He is Emmanuel, which is God with us. And we think about these names of Christ, and really Acts 4 and 12 says this about the name of Christ, and there is salvation in no, no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's a name that is worthy for us to lift up, amen? That's a name that when we say the name of Jesus and we realize that there is no other name on earth that we can be saved by other than the name of Jesus, that's an amazing name then. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He says, you have exalted yourself. You've raised your glory high above the heavens. Charles Spurgeon wrote this in one of his books. He said, earth's ponderous wheels would break. Her axles snap if freighted with the load of deity. Space is too narrow for the eternal's rest and time too short a footstool for his throne. Even an avalanche and thunder lack a voice to utter the full volume of his praise. How can I declare him where are words with which my glowing tongue may speak his name? Silent I bow, humbly I adore. And what Spurgeon was saying was the name of God is so great and so mighty and it is so powerful that there is no way that we could adequately describe its greatness. His glory is above the heavens. Earth can't attain it. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. His actions are above our ways. He has set his glory above the heavens. Secondly, he tells us that he has set his praise in our hearts. The psalmist tells us that he has put into the mouths of babes and infants his praise. I mean, look at verse 2 there as he reads. He says, out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So he has set his praise in our hearts. And when we think about that, there's been a couple explanations given for that. One is that they said that it's amazing how that even the mightiest of voices can be drowned out by a baby. And I thought about that as I was studying this week. There's been a few Sundays, not many. I tend to stay in the zone, and people say, hey, did the baby cry and bother you? And I said, I didn't even notice it. But there's been a few, and I think as I get older, it's harder to keep attention. There's been a few Sundays, man, when I preached my guts out, and I don't think anybody heard it because of a baby. But I think more of what he was getting at was just out of the mouths of babes that sometimes children are such great examples to you and I as adults as to how we should be towards God. That they have this childlike faith, this ability to trust God, this ability to believe in God. And we, as we get older, become so filled with doubt, don't we? Or we get filled with pride. And isn't it amazing how children have very little pride when it comes to affection for those over them? Amen? They'll they'll just, man, they'll jump jump on your lap. They'll crawl on you. They'll do all. How many of us as adults would do that? I mean, minus the newlyweds in the crowd. We'll leave them out. 
but children will do that or, or they'll, they'll come running up, you know, and we see them run into church and they run out of church and they're just so excited and, and we come hobbling in, groaning when we sit down and groaning when we get up. But children are such a wonderful testimony to us of this greatness and this trust. Those kids that just left here a few moments ago, I promise you, when they say their prayers, they believe God's going to answer them. And I'm afraid sometimes we say prayers and we're just doing it because we know we're supposed to do it. We need to be more like the children, don't we? And really, I think the psalmist is saying this, is that God is so great and he has put deep within the heart of every one of us this this faith. And we had it as children but we've maybe grown out of it or grown away from it or walked away from it. And he says there's no way to deny God's existence and his greatness when we look at a child and realize that without any education, without any training, they know that Jesus loves me, this I know. Out of the mouths of babes. The King James used the word sucklings. Even the nursing infant. And you think about that, and he says he put that praise in our heart. You know, every one of us instinctively, somewhere deep down inside of us, God at one time placed within us this hunger for him. We may have drowned it out, but it's deep, deep down inside. We often quote the scripture, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And I think that's a lot of what he's describing is putting something in a child that as they get older, it'll never escape them. It'll never leave them. And God put into every one of us this praise and this worship for him. It comes natural out of the mouths of babes. Think about some instances in Scripture. Think of John the Baptist since we're in the Christmas season. Remember when his mother visited Mary? Scripture says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And we might say, well, you know, that was just the baby kicked. I think it was more than just that. The baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And notice the next verse. She says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. See, out of the mouths of babes, John the Baptist is still in the mother, in his mother's womb, and he hears the news of the news is given of Jesus. And what does he do? He leaps for joy. I promise you, these little ones that come in, it's in them. That's why it's so important we reach children. That's why it's so important that that we fill up our Sunday school classes and our junior church because they are so receptive to the gospel and to understanding who God is and what God's plan for their life is right now while they're young. They're open to it. Don't let them get old like us. They'll be tough to reach. Think about the children inside the temple. We often miss this because we think of Jesus turning over the tables of the money changers. But the scripture says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. 
But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and notice what else they saw. They saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have ordained or prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city of Bethany and lodged there. I think Jesus was probably quoting from the passage we read this morning. He's saying, haven't you read the scriptures? Don't you know that God put into the mouths and into the hearts of children praise and worship for me? Or how about the infants that were brought to Jesus? Many folks were brought to Jesus. Some brought their adult companions to him and wanted healing. And some brought their teenagers to him and wanted healing. And some came on their own. But it got so much so that the scripture picks up in Luke 18 and says, Now when they were bringing even infants to him. And the disciples are thinking, this is getting out of hand. Everybody's bringing people to Jesus. Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Everybody's bringing people to Jesus. I mean, they're bringing their aunts and their uncles and their brothers and their sisters. But it's almost like they're saying, this is getting out of hand now. Now they're even bringing infants to Christ. This is ridiculous. You ever been somewhere and the baby started crying or fussing and you thought, what are they doing with that baby here? I went somewhere the other day. I was a little stressed and so I, I got out. I thought I'm going to get a soda, get me a taco. And so, man, I got my soda, got my taco. There's no one in the place. And I sit down in the corner and I'm just happy. Peace, taco, soda. Life is great. In walks two ladies with 15 kids. And in the whole restaurant, they came and sat down right next to me. I think I set a world record in eating that taco. In and out. Or maybe you've been to a restaurant or been to a movie theater and all of a sudden you hear a baby crying. And you think, why can't they keep that baby home? God forbid that the church ever be a place where we say, why can't they keep those kids at home? That we ever get worried about them making messes. That we ever get upset because they're a little disruptive. Sometimes we'll have Sunday morning, the song service is going on, and man, John D. watches it, he's sitting right there. And sometimes it's like big time wrestling going on in the front row. And I sit there and I sweat along, and kids straighten them out. But you know what? They're here. We need to teach them how to sit in church. and They need to hear Jesus. But we don't ever want to be a church that doesn't want children around. He said, even, they even brought infants that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then he gets personal and he says, truly I say to you, whosoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. And what he says, it says, unless you get a little bit more like these children, you're not going to make it. And I think the lesson applies to us and that we need to have this kind of childlike faith, this, this ability to praise and worship God that just comes instinctively without worrying about what anyone else thinks. He also set the planets in place, the psalmist says. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. And that's a pretty majestic God that we're talking about there, isn't it? 
that he would take and he would set all the moon and the stars and the planets in place. I mean, that is, a, that is amazing. I can't even set a place setting at the table. But God takes this whole universe and he put it in order. It is so amazing. He says, what is man that you're mindful of him? I ran across a video that I want to show you. On December 24th, and some of you will remember this. I was three, four years old. On December 24th, Christmas Eve, 1968, the crew of Apollo 8 orbited the moon for the first time ever. They were making preparation for the eventual moon landing. But this was the first time they actually orbited. And they broadcast live that Christmas Eve to Earth from their orbit around the moon. And the astronauts, in a couple of articles that I read and things that I watched, the astronauts were told, be prepared to say something over the air. And the astronauts said, they didn't tell us what to say. They just said, say something appropriate. And they, they described that they were there to kind of observe the moon. And so they were looking, of course, at the Sea of Tranquility, which they said this would be a great landing spot away from the mountains. It's nice and smooth. And they were observing craters and rocks and all these things. But one of them had brought a camera and happened to turn back and catch the earth. And they said, we had never thought to photograph the earth from the moon. We were so concerned with observing the moon. I'll have Kevin play this Apollo 8 clip for you and just listen to the words. What do they say when they see the heavens the earth, the moon, the stars. Now approaching uh, lunar sunrise, and uh, for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. not happen today, would it? Probably not happen today. But I loved it because I think they experienced probably what David experienced. David said, when I look at the moon and the stars 
and the planets that you've put in place. Oh God, how majestic is your name. And these astronauts, as they circled and they saw this from a different perspective, they said, what else could we say but that God created this and it was good. David had more than likely spent a lot of nights out on the hillsides, a lot of lonely nights staring at those stars. And, you know, I got to thinking that it's appropriate that he probably wrote that because I think probably God's brightness and his glory shines the brightest in some of the darkest moments of our lives. That at those toughest times, it's then maybe that we look up finally to God and say, oh, God, I need you so desperately. He also set the creation in our hands. This majestic God took all of these things that they described and then he put them in our hands. He says about man in the psalm, you've made him a little lower than the angels, the heavenly beings, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the sea, the paths of the seas. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name. So this king of kings, not only did he you know, put us here, but he put everything in our hands. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? How many remember the first time your kid took off with your car? Hopefully you had a junker to let him drive. But I got a feeling it was almost like that feeling that we'd have where, here's the keys, you know, be careful with it. That God had created this wonderful place, and yet he put it in our hands. And think of what a blessing that is, that God has given all of this, everything around us, it's here for us. God put it for here, for our enjoyment, for our pleasure, for our use. It's been placed in our hands. And so God put that in our hands. But the most important thing that God placed or put is something that we passed up. He said, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, listen to what he says next. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And that majestic God, probably the greatest thing he did that, way, that day was he set us in his heart. He says, God, when I see all of this, who am I that you even are mindful of me? Who am I that you even care for me? I mean, think about that. You ever stood beside the ocean and looked out at just how massive and large it is, and you just realize how small we really are? Seth and Genuine went up to the sequoias the other day, and I think he snuck where he shouldn't have snuck, but he took a picture beside the General Sherman tree. And you look at that and say, man, we are so small. And in all of God's creation, when you saw that shot from the moon, you see the earth, you realize how small we really are. And David said, what is man that you're even aware of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? We can worship and praise this God because he has set us in his heart. He cares for us. Job 7 and 17, Job probably said it in more of a different tone. But Job said, what is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him and visit him every morning? And then he adds this, and test him every moment. 
almost as if to say, God, why don't you leave me alone? What am I? Why are you doing this? But God took notice of Job, didn't he? He said, there's not a man like him in all the earth. In Psalms 144, David repeated, he said, O Lord, what is man that you regard him? Or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. We're just here today and gone tomorrow, and yet God knows us. John 3 and 16 tells us how intimate he cares for us. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And when he says the world there, he's not talking about the planet that the astronauts saw. He's not talking about the universe. He's talking about me. He's talking about you. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. This majestic God cares for you. In the New Testament, he said, casting all your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. God loves you this morning, and he wants a personal relationship with you. Today, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, this would be the great day to look at this God and say, Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God, if you have set me in your heart and you care about me and you love me, God, I want you to come into my heart and be my Savior. And that transpires when we confess our sins and simply ask Christ into our lives. Maybe you're here today, and as a Christian, you need to cry out and say, Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Maybe you've forgotten just how much God really cares for you. Maybe you're going through the struggle. Maybe you're in a a dark moment in your life right now, the darkest of times that you've ever been through, and yet it's at those darkest moments maybe that we lift up to the heavens and say, God, If you created all these things, and yet you still take an interest in me, God, don't ever let me forget that. Shine in my life. Let's stand. Dear God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you, Father, for all that you do for us. God, help us to worship you above everything else. Help us to praise your name. Help us, Lord to lean on you in the toughest times and to know that you care for us, that you're mindful of us, you're aware of what's going on in our lives. In Jesus' name, with heads still bent.